Again, keep in mind, this is about the hall of faith. Verse 32. And what shall, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me, fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Wow. We have six different names in here and then a listing of the prophets. And as I began to look at these folks and read about them, most of them are found in the book of Judges, I began to realize these are some pretty flawed people. These are some people that had some pretty big shortcomings. But yet they made it into the hall of faith. And so we've looked at some big names, Abraham and Moses and Joseph. But the Lord also gives us some names of some people that... um, might surprise you a little bit that they would be listed here. Yet they lived by faith. I hope that the Bible study tonight will bring you great encouragement. Sometimes we feel like that we are too, uh, we have too many shortcomings for God to use us. But God specializes in using the weak. That's what He does well. So tonight we're going to look at faith's examples and we're going to look at the flawed. The flawed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, help us as we understand these, uh, uh, these people and look at their lives in great detail. And Lord, we see that they were flawed. They had shortcomings. And Lord, they had impediments that would have kept them from being great. But Lord, you use them anyway because of their faith. And Lord, help our faith to be confirmed just a little bit more this evening. Help us to step up our faith game. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I know this, when I start looking at myself, um, I begin to feel incapable. I begin to feel that um, I have no right even trying to do something great for God. I focus on my shortcomings and I I focus on my sin and I focus on um, where I continue to drop the ball as a Christian. And I step back and say, there's no way God could ever do anything great with me. And then the Lord has to stop and remind me, hey man, it's not about you. It's not about you. Can you trust me? Because I am the expert at taking the weak and doing things that are mighty. I'm the expert at taking the feeble and accomplishing something that, uh, that just blows everyone away. And, and the Lord is the expert at taking somebody that shouldn't and making it happen in spite of them. Why do you think it is that God likes to use the flawed to accomplish something great? Why do you think it is that God likes to take someone who has a speech impediment and use them to preach a powerful sermon? Or why do you think it is that, uh, that the Lord would use a small boy to uh, see some scholar saved or uh, someone who just shouldn't be able to and something great happens? Well, the answer is quite simple because when those things happen, God gets all the credit. And you know what? That's what this is about. These, uh, these, these Jews that were reading the book of Hebrews, to whom the book was authored to, they had put these folks up that we find in Hebrews 11, up on a pedestal and almost 
worshipped them. And in some cases, had worshipped them. In fact, we find Jesus reprimanding the Pharisees because they worshipped, basically they worshipped Abraham and Moses. And, and Jesus had to step back and say, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And he said, look guys, you all are worshiping these people and you hold them up and hail them as great. And, and, and the book of Hebrews is here to tell us the reason why they were great is not because of who they were, but because of the God in whom they believed. And aren't you glad that you can be flawed and still do something great for the Lord? And here we have in this, uh, in this uh, uh, verse, verse 32, we have six individual names. We're going to look at the first three this week, and we'll look at the first, uh, the, the second three next week uh, listed here, and we're going to see that these were some folks that had some serious problems, some serious holes in their game, yet God did something great with them in spite of them. Let's look at the first one here, first name mentioned here in Hebrews 11.32, and let's look at Gideon, and notice he lacked credibility. Turn over to Judges chapter 6 with me, Judges chapter 6, and look at verse number 11. Um, I think back to Moses as he's standing there at that burning bush. And the Lord tells him what he wants him to do, and he says, but I can't. And God says, oh, yes, you can. He says, no, but I can't because I can't speak. And the Lord says, but if I say you can, you can. He says, but Lord, I can't. I can't speak. And the Lord gets upset with him and says, Will you knock it off and will you quit making excuses? Your brother is coming over the hill right now and he'll be a mouthpiece for you if you so need him. And after that, we see that his brother does very little speaking uh, from that uh, point on, that Moses would end up doing most of the speaking to the children of Israel. And uh, the Lord says, it's not about you, it's about me, and I need you to put your faith in me and just simply be a useful tool uh, in, in my toolbox that I can take out and use for my own glory. Look at verse 11 of, of uh, Judges chapter number 6. The Bible says, And uh, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Orpah, uh, that pertained unto Joash. The uh, 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 Let's see here. It's a good thing the Lord can use people that have speech impediments. Amen? I'm having a hard time with these uh, names. Uh, let's see. A- Abiezerite and his son Gideon threshed wheat. Uh, by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us out, bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us, And delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. At this point, Gideon doesn't know he's speaking to an angel. Look at verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, uh, wherewith uh, shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. It's hard for us to have an understanding of what uh, Gideon meant when he said, I am the least in my father's house. We, go, we, we live in a land that is supposed to be equal opportunity. Now, I do believe we're losing that little bit at a time, uh, but America has been built on this idea that no matter who you are 
or where you come from. It does not matter uh, what side of the tracks you, you were born on or grew up on. You can become something great. You can uh, uh, do. You can become anybody that you want and do anything you want. That wasn't the culture in Israel. That wasn't the culture. If you weren't born into the right family with just the right position, with the uh, right last name, you were you were stuck. You were stuck to follow in your father's footsteps and do what he did and live that life, and that was it. And you didn't get to just become anybody you want and do anything you want. And this angel comes uh, to Gideon and the Israelites. In fact, go back to Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. The Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Now, they didn't know it was going to be seven years, but here they are in Midian. They're captives to the Midianites. They have Midianite soldiers walking their streets and telling them what to do. And because they turned their back on God and they lived in sin, the Lord turned them over to the Midianites and allowed the Midianites to hold them captive. And here Gideon, this quote-unquote mighty man of valor, where is he? He's down in a valley and he's threshing wheat. Anybody that knows anything about threshing wheat knows you don't thresh it in a valley. You stand up on the top of a mountain where the wind blows and you throw the wheat up in the air and you allow the wind to carry the chafe away and the wheat falls to the ground. There's not a whole lot of wind blowing in a valley per se. And here he is down in the valley. He's hiding from the Midianites. He's trying to stay away from the enemy. And the uh, an old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ or a Christophany shows up there where he is and he says, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. Now, was Gideon acting like a mighty man of valor? No, he was not. In fact, the Lord would have to lead him along. I sure hope you hear what I'm about to say because some of you really struggle with faith. Do you know that God is so gracious and caring and kind, he is such a great leader, that even if your, weak, your faith is weak, even if your faith is small, even if you stutter and stumble in your faith from time to time, read the story of Gideon and what you'll find is a man who really was cautious. Boy, he was careful. We see that he goes in uh, in this story. He goes in and he makes some food for this angel, and he brings it out. And the angel and the angel uh, sets it down on a rock, and he sets the food on fire. And then he realizes, and then the angel disappears, and he realizes this was an angel. Then he's fearful that he's going to lose his life, and the Lord has to reassure him, "No, no, no, you're not going to die." And and then he puts out a fleece. You know the story of the fleece, right? He puts out a fleece, and he says, "Well, uh, uh, it, let it rain." all night tonight and if that fleece is dry in the morning then I'll know that this is of the Lord and sure enough that happens and he puts it out a second night and he says uh, well, well let, let, let the fleece be dry or let, 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 rather let the fleece be wet and the ground be dry and it happens again and so what's God doing God is saying follow me follow me and I'll help you here you have Gideon he's saying look I can't lead the armies they won't follow me he said in my family I am the least within my tribe. I am the least within my tribe. He says, no one's going to get in line and follow me. I lack credibility. I'm not a warrior. 
I don't have that, 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 that warrior stock within me. Uh, if I stand up and say that we're going to go to war against the Midianites, no one's going to follow me. And God says, you do what I tell you, and you watch what happens. And for those of you that know the story, you know it well. Others of you that don't know the story, this is a fascinating story. He does. He stands up and he leads the, uh, the armies of Israel, brings them together, and then God looks at him and says, your army's too big. Well, wait a minute. We learn in uh, Judges chapter 7 that the Midianites' army was so large that they were innumerable. In fact, the Midianites had hired an Amalekite army to come in and help them, and they're all in there together, and the Israeli army is so small already in comparison to the Midianite army, and God comes to Gideon and says, your army is still too large. He says, what? He said, go to your people and tell them, those of you that are scared and don't want to be here, just go home. And boy, a whole bunch of them go home. And then God comes to Gideon and he says, your army is still too big. He says, what? He said, yes, your army is still too big. He says, take them all down to the, to the, to the creek and let them drink. And those that get on their face and lap the water like a dog, keep those and send the rest of them home. 300 remain. And they're madmen. Look, if you're laying on your stomach and you're lapping water like a dog, there's something wrong with you. Alright? Those are the ones he gets to keep. And so God has Gideon put them, uh, divide them up into groups of hundreds. So you have three groups of a hundred apiece, and he puts them around where the Midianites are in a, in a, in a low point. He puts them around, and he gives them a torch. Uh, he gives them a, a clay pitcher, and he, and he gives them a trumpet. And in the middle of the night, they break the, 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 the clay pitcher and the lights there and they blow their trumpet and they shout, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the Midianite, the Malachite army wake up there. Many of them are drunk and they begin to kill each other in the confusion and the Lord delivers them. Well, who got the credit because Gideon was willing to follow God's crazy plan? The Lord got the credit. Gideon, we know Gideon's name, but you know why Gideon did something great? It wasn't because he was, per se, a mighty man of valor. The Lord calls him that. It wasn't a mighty man of valor from a physical sense. He was a mighty man of valor from a spiritual sense because his faith is strong. Here's the challenge to you tonight. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you, what you uh, think you're capable of, no matter whether you think your credibility is shot or not, The Lord will use you if you put your faith in Him. Look at Judges chapter 7 and look at verse number 15. Let's read the story here. We see God God work a great work. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned uh, into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he delivered the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the, camp, unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch 
uh, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hand and the trumpet in their right hand to blow with all. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the hosts ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord uh, set uh, every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled uh, to Beth uh, Shittah in the uh, in uh, Zeratath and to the border of that place unto Tabith. And the men of Israel. Uh, so you see there, the Lord wrought a great victory here because they just simply obeyed. And I circle back to this. You know, faith oftentimes, and I've said this many times as we've gone through Hebrews 11, faith is visible in our obedience. When God tells you to do something, and your flesh doesn't want to do it, and you do it anyway, that is faith. When faith tells you to do something, and fear tells you to do the opposite, and while afraid you step out and do faith anyway, that pleases God. That is obedience. It's easy to obey when we're told to do something we already want to do. It's not so easy to obey when we're told to, something, told to do something we do not want to do. Here Gideon is in the valley threshing wheat. Do you think he wanted to be the man to stand up and lead the army? He's a total introvert. He's the least in his family. He lacks credibility. Yet God said, Gideon, get up and do it. You are weak. I'm going to do something great through you. And I'm going To get the credit. We see Gideon. He was flawed. He lacked credibility, but he had faith, and God wrought a great work through him. Number two, notice Barak. He lacked courage. He lacked courage. Turn back with me over to Judges chapter number four. By the way, if you're looking for a a weird book in the Bible to read, read the book of Judges. Um, It is one of the strangest books in the entire Bible. I promise you, it will keep your attention. And let me tell you why it's so weird and why it's so strange. The, the, the theme of Judges, the theme of the book of Judges is this. Every man did that which was right in their own eyes or in his own eyes. You know what happens when, you, when every man does right, what, what is right in his own eyes? Every man defines his own morality. Every man chooses their own course and justifies their own act, actions. You end up with some really strange circumstances. Have you found that? When you follow a tangent and you go off and do what you want to do and you justify it, have you found that maybe some strange things happen to you? Well, corporately, that's what happened to Israel. And strange event after strange event. The book of Judges ends with a really, really weird story about a civil war that broke out uh, uh, with the whole nation against uh, the tribe of Benjamin. And, And you get through reading it and your mouth just gapes open and you say... This was weird. Well, Judges chapter 4, we're early on in the book. And um, a man by the name of Ehud, who is left-handed, had delivered Israel uh, from their captive. And then Ehud was the judge over Israel until he died. 
And after he died, the Israelites returned back into sin. And in their sin, God delivered them up to another country named Canaan. Look at Judges chapter 4 and verse 1, and let's read the story about Barak, and then we'll take a step back and explain it. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord uh, sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, uh, the captain of whose host was uh, Sisera, uh, which dwelt in Harasheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, uh, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron. And twenty years uh, uh, he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, uh, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah. Uh, between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, uh, uh, out of uh, Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw towards Mount Tabor, and Take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulon. And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, uh, uh, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said unto her, Look at this wimp. If thou wilt go with me, Deborah, if thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee. Notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor, for the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. So Deborah is the leader here of the Israelites. She is Israel's judge. She sits under a palm tree, and when people have a dispute, they come to her and they rely on her wisdom to help them through uh, this difficult time. And um, uh, Deborah uh, has been doing this for quite some time, and Deborah feels led of the Lord to bring Barak, who is a, a warrior, to her and say, The Lord wants you, Barak, to take uh, 10,000 soldiers of these two tribes and go and fight Sisera, who is the captain of the army, and destroy them. And if you'll go, the Lord will deliver them into your hands. And good old Barak looks at Deborah and says, All right, Deborah, I'll go, but I need you to come along and hold my hand. I need you to come with me. Deborah, if you'll come with me, then I'll do it. And I'm sure Deborah sat there and shook her head and said, You wimp. You wimp. Will you go? Where is your faith? Trust in the Lord. The Lord has spoken through me to you and said that if you'll go, the Lord will deliver him into your hand, Barak. Barak refused. He said, Deborah, I'll only go if you go with me. And so Deborah said, all right, I'll go. But just so you know, the Lord is going to deliver Sisera, the captain, into the hand of a woman and not you. A woman is going to get credit for, for killing the captain of this uh, army of the enemy of the Lord. And so off they went. And sure enough, you read the story, 
and a great victory is won. And these iron chariots are defeated by the Israel, Israel army and uh, they, uh, uh, they, they, they kill every single one of the enemy uh, of the, uh, of that, that held them captive. And Sisera dismounts from his chariot and he takes off running. Turn over to uh, verse number 21 of Judges 4. We find Sisera, he makes his way to a mutual friend of his um, and uh, the man's wife is named Jael. His name is Heber. Heber is friends with Sisera and Heber's wife is Jael. Look at verse 21. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took... Well, let me back up where we read the verse here. So he invites her in. Or rather, she invites him in. And, he, and he's scared. He's running from his life. He's running from Barak. Barak's chasing him down, trying to kill him. And he finds uh, Heber's tent. And Heber's not home, but Jael, uh, the wife, is there. And Jael says, come on in, come on in, I'll take care of you. And he says, look, I'm wore out. I'm weary from my journey. Please give me a place to rest. Get me some water. She opens up a bottle of milk, and she gives him some milk to drink. He drinks the milk, and he lays down. And he says to her, stand at the tent door, and if anybody comes looking for me, tell them there are no men here whatsoever. And so he, she stands at the tent door and he goes to sleep. Well, look at verse 21. So he's asleep and she's supposed to be watching the tent door. And verse 21, Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent and took a an hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temples and fastened it into the ground. Wow! For he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. That's one bad woman right there. Verse 22, And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came uh, into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So Sisera is killed by Jael, who takes a tent spike and drives it through his, his temples, drives it through his brain, and fastens him to the ground. That's, that's, that's like I said, there's some strange, crazy stuff in this book. Uh, but uh, he, did not get the, he did not get the notoriety of having killed the general, having killed the captain of the enemy. That Instead, that was handed to a woman. You know, as I read through, or rather, it's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and I come to the name Barak. He's one of those people that made it into the hall of faith, and I'm sort of left scratching my head saying, why? Why? This was a man who needed to rely on a woman to get him to war, and then relied on a woman to kill the captain, or rather had a woman kill the captain. And, and, and here is the conclusion I've come to. The Lord is giving us a list of folks who were not perfect, but still stepped out by faith. Still stepped out by faith. Um, you may be here tonight, and you may be one of those people that lack courage. There are things that God wants you to do and you're a little bit slower to get to it than most because you're afraid of the consequences if you step out. And you say, Pastor, does God still have something for me? And the answer is yes, He does. 
even though Barak wasn't um, Samson, who we'll look at here in just a moment. He wasn't picking up the jawbone of a donkey and killing the enemies of the Lord and carrying the gates of a city on his back up a hill. And uh, he wasn't setting fields on fire. Even though he wasn't doing all that, even though he needed a wise woman to go with him to war, he still went to war. He still got up and went. He still pursued Sisera. He still stayed with it until Israel had been set free from the rest of Jabin and the nation of Canaan. He still stayed with it. Was Barak perfect? No. Was he flawed? Yes. Does God still use the flawed? Oh yes, He does. Listen, your faith may not be perfect. Your faith might have some holes in its game. Your faith may not be all that it should be. And at times you may want to hang your head and be, be discouraged. At times you may want to throw in the towel and quit and say, why am I still going to church? What am I still reading my Bible for? What am I still trying the Christian life for? I feel plateaued. I haven't, I don't feel like I've grown or gone very far. And I would say to you, you might find Find some similarities with Barak, but Barak finished his course. Oh, he wasn't perfect, but he finished his course. And while he didn't step out on faith quite on the level that God would have wanted him to, he still stepped out by faith. And God was so impressed with that, he listed him in Hebrews chapter 11. Barak, was he flawed? Yes. Did God still use him? Yes. He still gave the Lord his faith, and the Lord still used him. Hey, at times do you feel that you lack the courage that you ought to have to do all that God has for you? Hey, find rest, find solace in the fact that if God can use Barak, then the Lord can use you. Number three, let's look at our third and final example tonight. We have three more we'll look at next week. Notice Samson. Samson, he lacked character. And oh, did Samson lack character. Turn over to Judges chapter 14. You think, well, Pastor, I've got my credibility, and Pastor, I, I, I've got all the courage in the world. Well, that was Samson. He, he definitely had courage. He, he had no lack of that. But, oh man, he could not seem to get out of his own way when it came to his own behavior. And if you know the story of, of Samson, uh, his parents were not able to have a child. And an angel appeared to them and said, you're going to have a baby, and uh, he is going to need to hold to a Nazarite vow. And a Nazarite vow uh, meant that uh, no razor was allowed to be applied to his head. He was never allowed to have a razor touch his head. He was not supposed to drink any wine. When I say wine, that means any drink that comes from the vine. So even like grape juice or fig juice, he was not allowed to have any of that, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Um, the third requirement of a Nazarite is they were not to touch any dead, anything that was dead. No dead animals or no dead bodies. They were not allowed to come into contact with death. This was the Nazarite vow that, uh, that Samson was born under. And we're going to see here that Samson struggled with keeping uh, what God wanted from him and for him. Samson was a, a special man in that God gave him incredible strength. Uh, and he was to use that strength to fight the armies of the Lord. Specifically, the enemy that they had found themselves in captive under this time was the Philistines. Again, they sinned and as a nation fell back into captivity. And now it's the Philistines that are roaming their streets and telling them what to do. Uh, Samson becomes a young adult. Look at verse 1 of chapter 
14. The Bible says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Let's read down through verse 8. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother uh, to Timnath and came to the vineyard of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he rent him. And he would have rent a kid. And uh, he had nothing in his hand. But he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked uh, with the woman. And she pleased Samson well, and after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And we know that he would put his hand in there and take of that honey, and he would violate that Nazarite vow by touching that dead lion. But look, can we just take a half a step back and say, Wow! Can you imagine seeing him? One-on-one, mano-a-mano with a lion, and with his bare hands, he killed the lion? I would love to have seen that. Boy, I hope the Lord videoed that. Amen? And we can see that in heaven. Him go one-on-one with a lion and just destroy the lion and kill it and beat the thing to death. Let's take another step back. Why was he in Timnath? He shouldn't have been. He shouldn't have been. Here we see a character flaw in Samson. And that character flaw was loose women. He had a problem with loose women. The Bible tells us in, um, in the New Testament that we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We see that pattern as well with the children of Israel. Israelite boys were only supposed to marry Israelite girls, not pagan girls, not girls that were heathen. And he sees this really cute little girl in in Timnath of the Philistines and he wants to go down and he wants to marry her. And so he goes to his parents and he says, get that girl for me, I want to marry her. Now remember, they live in a time of betrothal and so mom and dad had to work it out with the other parents. He couldn't just go get her on his own. And so he gets mom and dad to go down and get him this Philistine girl To marry, We see that he had character flaws. This marriage was very short-lived. In fact, there would be a feast, and he would tell a riddle, and he would gamble for a change of clothes with the Philistine uh, men that were there at the feast or the engagement party or maybe the wedding party. And um, uh, there were 30 different men. He said, look, I'm going to give you a riddle. If you can answer the riddle, I'll buy all of you a change of clothes. If you can't answer my riddle within a set time, uh, then uh, you're going to give me a change of clothes. And they used his wife to get to him. And
and find out what the answer of the riddle was. And they answered the riddle and he calls her a heifer in this passage. So now we see not only is he, does he have a problem with loose women, we also see he's quite misogynistic. He's calling women heifers. Men, can I just give you a piece of advice right here? Never, ever, 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 ever call a woman a heifer. That's a really bad idea. All right, but we see that he had a serious issue. And they would end up taking his wife away from him, which absolutely ticked him off. And now we see Samson's second character flaw. He had a major temper problem. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid, and he said, I will go into my wife into the chamber. But her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her, therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. So he had been married to this girl, but because of the whole debacle with the, the gambling and the, and, the, and the clothes and his calling her a name and sort of abandoning her for a short time. And, and so dad took his daughter and gave him, uh, gave her to another man to marry. So he's coming to get his wife and to sleep with her. And, and dad says, no, I'm sorry, she's now another man's husband. Look at verse 3. And Samson uh, said concerning them, now shall I... Uh, be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went, look at the, look how incredible this is, and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands and turned tail to tail and put a firebrand in the midst between two tails. Are you visualizing this? He caught 300 foxes. Wow, that's impressive. I don't know if he used traps or he just chased them down. He gets 300 foxes and he puts them tail to tail and he ties a firebrand in their tail. Let's keep reading. Uh, And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and also the standing corn with the vineyards and olives. He has lost his temper. He's lost his mind. He catches 300 foxes. He ties their tails together in sets of two. He puts a fire brand between each one. And he sends them into the wheat harvest and the corn harvest. And he burns their fields down and destroys their crop. Boy, Samson has some serious character issues. Look with me at chapter 16 and verse 1. Back to being a womanizer. Look at verse 1. Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. Now he is sleeping with prostitutes. Verse 2. And it was told uh, the Gazarite saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the, in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night saying, In the morning when it is day we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight, and arose at midnight, and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders, and carried them up to the top of an hill that was that is set before Hebron. And it came to pass afterwards that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said unto her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee, every one of us, eleven hundred 
pieces of silver. So here he is with another woman sleeping with, uh, yet, uh, sleeping with this harlot and spending the night there. And so they tie, they, they, they bind him up in the city and they shut the walls of the city. He wakes up at midnight and goes out and sees that he can't get out because the gate's closed. And in his superhuman strength, he picks up the gates of the city, bar and all, and he carries them up the hill and he walks away. This is unbelievable. God has given Samson superhuman strength, but he's abusing this strength to take advantage for himself. The man has serious character issues. He meets yet another woman named Delilah. And here's where we learn that if you have character flaws, eventually it's going to catch up to you. What happens? He's playing with fire and he's about to get burned bad. Here he is with Delilah. And Delilah comes to him in the wiles of a woman. She says to him, Oh, Samson, do you love me? And he says, You know I love you, sweetheart. And she says, Then tell me the source of your strength. And, and so he says, he says, Well, if you will bind me with seven green widths, or seven green, uh, like, like a vine, right? A green vine. If you'll bind me with those seven green widths, then um, I will lose my strength. So the guy goes to sleep in her arms. She gets seven green widths and she ties them up. And then she opens the door and calls the Philistines in. And she says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson stands up and like He-Man, like the Incredible Hulk, he breaks the widths and he kills all the Philistines. Now, if I'm Samson, I'm going, I can't trust this Delilah girl. Right? But not Samson. Um, On top of having character flaws, he was kind of dumb. Because she comes to him and she's crying. And she says, oh, Samson, you betrayed me. I betrayed you? (laughs) You betrayed me. She said, if you really loved me, you would tell me the source of your strength. And so he says, if you use new ropes, new ropes, I will lose my strength. And so sure enough, he goes to sleep and the same thing. She binds him with new ropes, invites the Philistines in, and he wakes up and breaks the ropes and kills them. And so then she says again, you lied to me and you don't love me. And if you love me, you would tell me. And he says, well, if you will weave my hair like a web. See, he's getting closer to the source. The source is his hair. And now he's getting closer and closer. You see, this is how sin works. We get a little bit closer to the line each time. And here he is, walking up to the line. So she weaves his hair like a web. And she calls the Philistines in. And he wakes up. And he breaks off the ropes. Or rather, he he stands up with his hair in a a web, uh, woven like a web. And he kills all the Philistines. And again, she cries and says, you lied to me. And then he finally tells her, the true source. He says, it is in my hair. If you shave my head, I will lose my strength. And so while he sleeps, she shaves his head. And when the Philistine comes in, he wakes up. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible is found here in chapter 16 where it says that the glory of the Lord had departed and he did not even know it. He tries to kill the Philistines like before, but now he doesn't have that superhuman strength. The Philistines catch him, they put him in captivity, and they gouge his eyes out. You see how that when we have character flaws, 
and we're reckless with it. We don't really deal with it. We just let sin run its course. Boy, um, you can choose your sin. You don't get to choose the consequences of your sin. And here you have Samson in captivity. And now they're making fun of him. So they fill an amphitheater of sorts. And they bring out their prized possession, Samson. They bring him out and they're making sport of him. They're making fun of him. And thousands of Philistines have gathered. What they didn't realize is that his hair was beginning to grow back. The one thing that Samson never lost was his faith in God. Because as flawed as Samson was, he still believed in God. Down at chapter 16, verse number 27. Now the house was full of men and women. The lords of the Philistines were there. The leadership is there. There were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord. You see his faith here. And said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed down himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his fathers came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the burying place of Manoah his father. And he judged Israel for twenty years. How many here would be willing to admit you have some character flaws? I I admit that. I've got some shortcomings in my life. Those closest to us generally know what they are. Can I tell you what Satan wants to try to tell you? I'm almost done. Stay with me. Don't, Don't shut down on me yet. Can I tell you what Satan wants to try to tell you? That because you have those character flaws, you can never, ever, ever be anything great for God. You can never do anything great for God. That because you have this struggle, this struggle, and this struggle, then you are, God has set you on the shelf and He's done with you. You might as well not even try. We find a man in Samson who was as flawed as any man listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Boy, he had some major holes in his spiritual game. But he never lost his faith. He kept believing. And even in his sin, he said, I'm still going to trust you, God. And the Lord found that to be so noteworthy that he put Samson in the hall of faith. Now, 
I want to make sure that I'm clear to say that the Scripture says we're not justifying you living willy-nilly with your flaws. Boy, if you lack courage, then you need to ask the Lord to give you boldness. If you've done something that's made yourself not credible, you need to work on your credibility. Um, if, if you uh, have character flaws, then you need to get with the program and ask God to help you and get counsel and get accountability and work on those. But by all means, whether you have a credibility problem or a lack of courage or you lack character, by all means, you need to stay in the game. You need to fight the faith, uh, fight the fight. You need to keep the faith and you need to do your part and watch God use you greatly in spite of you. You know, too oftentimes we think that God won't use us because I have this problem or that problem. And God says, no, you don't understand. I'm greater than your flaws. You just stay available and you just stay willing and you just stay faithful and, and you keep uh, faith in your heart. And I will and I can do something great with you. Why? Because it's never really about us anyway. It's about him. It's about him. He must increase John 3.30. I must decrease. When I get out of the way, boy, God can do some incredible things, but I must put my faith in Him. Let's have bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, I pray that You take the Bible study tonight and impress it to our hearts. Lord, we'll look at three more examples next week. And, um, Lord, men who are flawed. The truth is all of us are flawed. But You are not. And you are so great that if we'll put our faith in you, you can use us flaws and all. Lord, help us to commit. Help us to remember that without you, we can't. Without us, you won't. So, Lord, help us to be faithful. And help us to walk by faith. Knowing that you can and will do great things through us. We will just... Walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, Lord God, we sure love you. But, Lord, we want to love you more. So help us to wake up each morning and go through each day doing everything we can to increase our love and decrease our pride. Help us to be people of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.